constraints can really focus you on doing great things. That makes us more creative. When you don't have constraints, it's like working without a brief. Oh no. You know, exactly. <laughs> Welcome to Real Creative Leadership, a video podcast produced by the Stoke Group and hosted by me, Adam Morgan. On the show, we explore how creative leaders can have a bigger impact on their organizations and in the business world. And today is a special episode. So this last fall, we were at Adobe Max and we had a presence there with a booth for Real Creative Leadership and got to meet a lot of wonderful folks at Adobe Max. And we set up a special lunch and learn for a few lucky people to be on the show and have some you know, important questions asked. Super excited to give this new format a try. And today I'm joined by three amazing winners and also awesome creative leaders. It's Jess Ivey, Head of Global Creative Services at Samsung Ads, Caitlin Muller, Associate Creative Director of SiriusXM, and Stefan Worley, Creative Director of Sherwin-Williams. Welcome to the show. And maybe let's just take just a second so that the audience <laughs> understands a little bit more about you. Let's start with, we'll go Jess, Caitlin, and then Stefan. Just give us like a quick minute about who you are, where you come from, and, and what you have to do with creative leadership. Sure thing. Thanks so much. Uh, so I'm Jess Ivey. I head up uh, Global Creative Services for Samsung Ads. And uh, in my career, I've had such a great honor to work with creative people at Hulu, at Disney, at a number of big brands, at a lot of startups, helping helping them to pitch their stories. I'm honored to be here. You know, my team at Samsung Ads, we really partner to help make the Samsung Ads brand unmistakable and globally consistent and really talking about those challenges and the challenges that creatives have to do that. That's one of the things I love to do. So this is exciting. <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Caitlin. Uh, so I'm Caitlin Muller. I'm an associate creative director at SiriusXM. And the team I'm on is called Studio Resonate, and we are an audio first creative agency. So we consult with brands about how to bring their brands to life in audio. I have a pretty long history in the audio space. I started out sort of as a, a sound designer and composer. I worked in the video games industry for about seven years. And then uh, the past seven or so years, I've been in advertising. So I started as an audio producer and kind of worked my way up. Uh, and now I am you know, in this ACD role, audio first, um, really love talking about the power of audio. Oh, that's awesome. And we're living it right here. So love it. That's great. All right, Stefan. So um, I'm a creative director, one of three in my division at Sherwin-Williams. So um, our stuff is about the consumer experience, right? Our products are the ones that are going into store and things like that. So, um, you know, my world is really just all about how do we communicate, you know, the, the benefits of the products, to the consumer, help them make a decision from the opening price point product to the premium products. How do we kind of spread across that gap. So it's been good. I mean, my career has been in-house for almost 20 years at this point. So a brief stint on the agency side, but uh, yeah, the creative leadership kind of part of it is just, you know, I think you have spoken about talking khaki in the past, right? How do we deal with, you know, the people who don't talk creative and how do we deal with, you know, getting our message to them as well as to the consumers? Well, excellent. Welcome all to the show. So what we're going to do is I'll just... You know, we'll start with one person and go around the room and just ask a question, and then we'll chat about it and then go from there. So I think we're going to start with Jess. Jess, you're up first. What's your question? Uh -huh. All right. <laughs> let's go with one of my favorite questions. Do you feel like constraints drive people to be more creative or less creative? Yeah, I'll answer it. And again, everyone feel like if they want to jump in, like just my experience, and this is just my lived experience. It's been, I don't even know, 27 years in this, in the industry. I feel like there have been times, like if I, if I look deeply about what creativity is, and it's really just making new connections, right? It's like 
collecting a whole bunch of fodder in your head and making new connections around whatever strategy or product or thing that you're working on. But I found that like when you are constrained, when you make a smaller box, it makes me do is think a lot deeper about if, if I was trying to make an association between cars and pillows, right? Like thinking about all those little details as deeply as I can and then make more connections that I wouldn't have thought of before. Versus if it's wide open, I have times when it's like, we can do an ad about anything. And it's just like, you go so broad that you're, the fodder that you're picking up all around is still pretty low hanging fruit and it's pretty broad. And so there are some times that like, could you do it either direction? hundred percent. You can come up with a brilliant idea either way. But I feel like when you are constrained, it just puts you in a smaller area where you have to think a lot deeper and a lot quicker, you know, make more interesting connections than, than normally. I think to that point too, like what it's always done for me, what I've seen other people, like it, it causes me to focus, right? Like mm -hmm. to your point, Adam, like if it's wide open, like my thoughts wander to completely unrelated things and things that don't quite connect properly. And I spend a lot of time trying to make those things connect. And even if that connection is inappropriate, but if I have a constraint, then I think it forces me to go like, oh, I can't go over there. That's not right for this particular task or this project or whatever we're working on. I think that seeing that it clears the noise out a little bit, or at least some of the noise. And then you can make the choice of, okay, do I jump over that constraint and grab something from over there and bring it inside this box we're creating? Or do I just leave that on the side and it's not worth the effort? I can make that assessment at that point. But if it's open, then I don't really make that sort of judgment call. It's all on the table. And that's, you know, overwhelming the paradox of choice, right? I love the answer. I want to hear what you have to say too first, Caitlin. Go ahead. I really agree with that sort of decision paralysis or choice paralysis that comes with having a sort of a broad, open blue sky um, you know, non-constraint. I find blue sky brainstorms the most challenging. And I think part of that is also similar to what everybody has said. When you have constraints and when, and when you're sort of in a smaller box, those constraints cause you to think a little bit more creatively or more unconventionally and maybe come up with a solution that if you had, you know, all the choice in the world, you might not come up with that solution because you would go in the more conventional or more straightforward direction. And so I really love that about constraints. I think constraints are wonderful. <laughs> They're wonderful. Well, you know, and if we think back to sort of maybe earlier in our career, when you start out, constraints are like, ah, you know, don't pull me back. But I love sort of in the, that comment, you, you think about the purpose. What mm -hmm. is the purpose? You know, but my background's in entertainment, right? So uh, the movie Deadpool. Deadpool is an example of constraints can really focus you on doing great things. The original movie had a really, really tight budget and they, they yeah. had to choose absolutely what they were going to do for every single second, you know, um, in order to make it work and in order to make it work without uh, the giant budgets are all, all the things. And it's a really, really tight, wonderful movie that made, you know, more than 10x off of what yeah. they spent on yeah. it. Deadpool 2, they doubled the budget. Still a lot of fun. <laughs> but did they double the quality? Not really. I Sometimes I think that really focusing on the story you're trying to tell or the connections you're trying to make... That makes us more creative. It's exciting. I feel like when you don't have constraints, it's like working without a brief. Oh, no. You know? Right. <laughs> exactly. 
Well, let's move on to another topic. Let's move over to Caitlin. Adam, I'd love to hear what sort of suggestions you have for somebody to develop themselves creatively in an area that's different from their expertise area. So I come from an audio background. A lot of creatives in similar roles usually come from copywriting or visual design. And so I'm not either of those by trade, but I'd love to learn more about them, become more confident in them. I'd love to hear if you have any suggestions on how best to do that. And I don't know if I have a silver silver bullet answer for that, but it is an important truth, especially when it comes to creative leadership. Early on in your career, let's say you picked audio, like you're really going to dig deep in the craft. And you did that by reading a bunch of stuff, being passionate about it, caring about it, working on assignments around it, whatever that was that gave you more and more experience and exposure to that. But as you become a creative leader, you suddenly have to be an expert on all of those things, right? You have to go at writing and design and videography and photo shoots and all these other things that you may or may not have had that experience building those skill sets. The way to do it that I've seen is just to think about it the same way you did in the beginning is just get passionate about it and care. Like if you, if let's say you were a designer and suddenly you need to start managing writers or you, you want to become a creative leader, just got to, it's exposure. You've got to start reading things, trying things, practicing things, doing whatever you can. Now here's the good news. It's not like I've got to start 20 years of doing this in another path. And a lot of people get overwhelmed and like, I'm already deep in this career. I'm not going to start over. I, I'm just going to stick with this and maybe just be just a, a visual artist. But I think that you learn kind of catch up tricks as you've been through it all of like what to really focus on, what to care about. And you can just go back and just start studying highlights and kind of bigger moves rather than all the minutia, because you may not have to be the expert expert. You just need to be able to understand it well enough to guide it and bring all those pieces together. So that's how I've done it in my world. You know, I started out as a designer and then I moved over to writing and made sure I kept up with, do I understand all the programs? Can I design stuff? Can I bring things together? And now I'm sure we're going to talk about generative AI and all these other crazy things with tools changing on top of us. But it's just a matter of like, yeah, am I going to sit down and learn After Effects so I can do motion design, you know, even if I was a writer? Absolutely. You just need to get some exposure, go watch some master classes or whatever it may be. But I don't think it takes as long the second time around, fortunately. But it is the same. It's like learning to ride a bicycle. You still have to get on there. You still have to pedal a few times. I kind of agree. I think it's it's about getting out there. It's trying, right? It's. I think the big thing a lot of people have is they don't have the courage to fail. I have a seven year old, and he's trying things, and he gets real frustrated. He won't admit that he doesn't. He's not one hundred percent perfect at anything right off the <laughs> bat. And it's like, no, you have to. You have to be bad at something to be good at something. Really, it's about the trying. For me, one of the big things is as I grew in my career was a lot about like. Oh, I don't need to actually be perfect at all this stuff, right? Like I have, I manage project management teams and that is like not my, my forte mm-hmm. at all. Like it is a part of my team, you know, but it's not my history. It's just have to trust that the people that report up into me, like that's their expertise. I have to kind of be smart enough to know, like that doesn't feel right. And then ask the questions. It took me a long time to realize I didn't have to be perfect at everything. That definitely resonates a lot. In my role before, when I was an individual contributor, just doing audio, like you really want to be as regimented and do it all Mm -hmm. right. When you jump into more of a creative leadership position, I find you really just have to embrace that failure. If if I would add one note to that, where is the lane to try to be perfect? It's in being willing to try, being willing to learn, being willing to uh, listen. You know what I mean? That makes those relationships so rewarding and it makes our creative so much better. And I think to that point too, like it's asking the questions, right? Like be okay with asking the dumb question. I think the imposter syndrome with creatives is like crazy real. 
And I feel that same thing too, you know, being two and a half plus decades in the business, we're all creators and we just need to own that because that's going to help us get past that worrying about, oh, I'm not that title or that title, but just, just go for it. Well, awesome. That was a good discussion. All right, Stefan, you're up. Yeah. What question do you have for us? Yeah. I mean, this is one I, I kind of struggle with daily. It's like, so obviously there was a pandemic and we're kind of coming out of that. As part of that, like, what are the strategies we're seeing that people are using to maintain their relationships amongst their teams, with their partners, with their, you know, their, their vendors, their clients, whatever. I only call someone if I have something that I need from them. Right. I don't have the the building of those relationships that happen in the hallways, the, you know, the water cooler chats and things like that. Yep. So I just didn't know what people's strategies are beyond that. I mean, I, I consider myself an extroverted introvert, meaning I like, I find it much easier just to sit in my own little bubble at home and do things. But it's a thing I think about sometimes, you know? Yeah. Here are some of the things I've done, and maybe you all can talk about what you've done with your teams to help get there. I have made specific meetings with the team that are just called water cooler meetings. Um, where we would just like half an hour every week on a Thursday morning, just at least for certain teams to just get together and, and just chat and just kind of connect on some things. That was okay. I think some of the, some of the introverts didn't like it because it was like mm -hmm. forcing them to be into something. The thing that's been really, really helpful for us to create community is we have a weekly meeting called Creative Workshop. And every Friday morning, people all around the country, we all join and have a, it's just a meeting just to be inspired. And so for years and years, I did this for like eight, it's been eight and a half years that I've been running at Adobe where it's like in the beginning, I may be like, here's a cool book I read. I'm just going to tell you about it and do a book report, or here's a great Ted talk. Let's watch it real quick and then have a discussion, or let's bring in a guest speaker to come talk about a certain topic. But then now it's like, I ran out of all the stuff that I care about. And so I open it up the team and now, you know, I have a calendar for the whole next year where it's just every week, someone else on the team is in charge and they have to share some passion that they're working on, some cool new trend or technology, some new book, whatever it may be, just they have to be in charge of kind of bringing it together. And it's been phenomenal. I think everyone loves workshop because there's no pressure or stress unless it's your week, but it's just so great to come in and be inspired and look at some great work. But I think the end result is that it creates a little more of those, those connections that are not part of just a project or work or whatever it may be. So yeah. that's just one thing I've done. Let me open it up to you all, see if you guys have done other ways to, to make those connections a little more natural. We, we kind of do something similar on my team. We have monthly team meetings and, you know, part of the meeting is set aside for just general updates and admin and work showcases and, and things like that. But we have two alternating things every month. And one of them is called Spark. And that's just someone volunteers to share something that has sparked their creativity mm. or, or inspiration. And that can be anything from a museum exhibit to um, like a design principle to uh, an ad campaign, just sort of anything that they, that they have been creatively really interested in. And it's usually just sort of a 10 minute discussion presentation about it. Um, and I love that because it's a way to, to learn things about different areas of expertise that I may not know about. And then the other alternating thing is what's called my musical journey. Um, because mm -hmm. we're an audio company, it's, mm -hmm. you know, audio is in our DNA. Someone volunteers to just sort of go through 
their life in in the music that they listen to throughout their life. And it's a really cool way to, to learn about somebody in a different way than you, you would. I mean, I've learned so much about people that I've worked with for years and years just by the music that they listened to as a kid, teenager, college, you know, like not what you would have expected um, out of somebody. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Oh, my gosh. My musical turn. That's so cool. That's so cool. I love that. Those are really bigger things that that Adam and Caitlin that you both came up with that I love. I kind of want to adopt both of them. Um, I'll actually drive it really way down and be tactical for a minute. That concept of maintaining relationships. Some of the things that seem stupid when we're in this virtual world are really important. Mm -hmm. I will start every day kind of reaching out to my team that's in multiple countries or whatever and saying, hello, happy Wednesday. I'm excited about this or, you know, and the weather is terrible. How's everybody doing? That's a teeny tiny little tactical thing. And you say, does that matter? Um, But I actually try to start every day with some kind of dialogue. Right. Because mm-hmm. it, it kind of breaks that seal and it gets people more open and sort of talking to each other. The one other thing that is a little note I love is like when we do full team meetings, we start them basically with applause. So from the last time before we jump into what we're doing and what our challenges are, or whatever, we take a look back at from there to the last time we met and call out um, something amazing right? What you're proud of or um, the voice of our customers, like whatever we've heard, the kudos we've gotten or something that was well-received. And we start every meeting with that. And it allows you to have that conversation that's going back to individuals. Yeah, that's awesome. And even though audio is one way, like there's certainly other ways of doing it. You could do it through the books that have influenced your life. You could do it the movies that have made you or any other medium. Let's head back to Jess if you want to ask your next question. Right. Well, I think this keeps building on what we've been talking about. So for designers that are, you know, kind of more in the corporate world, right? The times right now are so challenging, changing teams and org structures. And a lot of folks are dealing with uncertainty, you know, you know, Adam, I'm just really interested from your lens and that kind of broad exposure that you have. What do you think are some of the best ways for creatives to uh, adapt and to thrive within all of that. All right. I'm going to start first with just trying to relate personally to that because it is a real thing and it's not uncertain environment is not just new to right now. Like those of us who have been in the industry for a long time, it's like, it's a cycle and it'll come and go and come and go constantly. My first exposure to it was back in, I was it 96, 97. One of the first agencies I worked for, they laid off like 60 people. And so as being one of them, I have a lot of PTSD from that experience because, you know, I went in kind of bright eyed and bushy tailed, excited, you know, and it only been like a couple of years that I'd worked at this agency. And then it was like, shazlam, like you're all gone. And even to this day, like I still like when recessions come or things are tight, like I get into that fight or flight mode and just get worried. How do you survive and thrive in all of that is a great question. I'd say things that have helped me personally over the years, and maybe this is terrible just because Back in the agency days, like early on, it was like there was there is no security, zero security in this world. And so the only security I had was in my own skills and portfolio and and who I am. And I think number one step is take solace in knowing what you're capable of. Take solace in knowing that you've got a good 
you know, set of work or good skills that can, can get you jobs and money. Like that, that's, that's something just to start with that. Like, if, and if you don't have that, that's a good place to build right in the beginning. Like how do you thrive, build the better skills, make yourself viable and, and profitable. After that, I would say the next step that I would look to is relationships. Cause there will be some people who have your back and some who don't of like, who are the relationships that I've built trust with over the years. And it's not that it's like the old boys club of relationships and that's how business works. It's like business is a matter of connections and trust and relationships. And so how do you work on those and build those so that you're, you're, you're feeling more safe and connected. And then beyond that, I think it's a case by case basis of every company. Like don't get so hung up that this is the only job out there in this world. This time will pass. And this will be a great moment just to get ready for the, the next move is that you're going to go after. The only person holding you back, if you really think about it in true, in true terms, is, is yourself. You're the only person holding yourself back from everything that you want to do. And so once you can kind of grasp onto that hope, then it's like you can ride the wave of all the turmoil of things that are up and down. Because in the end, you're going to be charting your path. You're going to be charting your career and going where you want to go and making sure you're building relationships and skills to get to that path. Adam, I, I love that because what you just did so succinctly is to boil that down to the things an individual can control, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there, there's all kinds of things we can't control, but you really sort of focus on control the things you can't. You know, you talked earlier about as creatives, it seems like we all have some level of imposter syndrome. And I think my answer to that, Jess, has been always that I have tried to weaponize that imposter syndrome because I've never fully felt comfortable in any role I've ever had. Right. You know, mentally, you know, you can do it, but like, you know, inside you're always got that imposter thing. Like I weaponize that. And so I work 10%, 15%, 20% harder than I probably need to just to make sure that I'm ahead. So then that puts you in a good position, you know, it makes you valuable. It makes you just that much further ahead than those people who aren't putting in that extra 10, 20% that they need to like my team, like in our organization, we changed a lot of roles in the last year. My Marcom team specifically has stayed very consistent, very stable over the last couple of years, but the marketing org around us has mm. changed a lot. And that has caused a lot of people to, to worry. You know, as a, as a creative director, as a manager of my team, like, I think it's about transparency and go, these are the reasons this happens. This is why it's going on. And just the transparency, like, yeah, business has been tough, especially the last year, right? Recessions and inflations and all this stuff. And everyone's worried, but, you know, we can only control what we can control. And, if I can tell my team and give them as much information as I can about what's happening, then, you know, then they get to make their decisions. And so I'm just trying to give them the tools to do that with. I love all of this. And this discussion is obviously very relevant right now. It's something that's on, you know, it's been on my mind. It's, it's on everybody's mind. And I think something that helps me is just acknowledging that the only constant is change, no matter, no matter what, the situation is, whether it's the instability within tech right now, whether it's um, a reorg, whether it's just a, a team redefining itself. You know, thinking back on my career at SiriusXM, I started at Pandora, which was acquired by SiriusXM. And that was a very unstable time. Mm -hmm. And so there's always going to be something. And so I think learning to sit with that and um, be okay with that and is is a really valuable skill it's something i still struggle with at times but it's important and because i think there, it's always going to be there and then additionally just being open to other possibilities and opportunities you know when i was in the games industry i went through a layoff and and that was 
that was hard at the time, but that was what led me on my current path. I, I saw an opportunity for a job in audio advertising. And even though I had never really considered that before, I, I was open to it and I, I looked into it and it ended up being a place where I could really grow and develop as a, as a creative. And I'm so thankful in retrospect for that layoff because it, it just put me on a really different path. And I mean, you know, it's easy to say now, years, Hmm, years later, but I think you kind of never know what's going to happen and it might feel really scary in the moment, but it's an opportunity. And going back to our constraints discussion, like you're, you're faced with this constraint. And so it might just cause you to think differently about what you want to do next or, or what you want to explore. I think that's a great point, Caitlin. I mean, I look back at previous positions I've had, and there's one in particular where I wasn't laid off, but it, the writing was sort of on the wall heading in that direction. And I, I left that company and actually took a, a step back in my career you know, for, for various reasons, but I, I took a lower level position. And through that, like I have advanced several steps. And I look back at that original company and I, I don't think I would have had that growth at that company. The situation that was very stressful and filled me with a lot of nervousness and, and anxiety, like in the end has really worked out for me and allowed me to be where I'm at today. So to your point, like there's a need to be open that, that whatever comes of this churn, right, is an opportunity. How do you grab that opportunity to make it into something that works for you? I think a couple of things just playing off of what you two were just saying is number one is just know that we all as leaders or individuals or whatever it may be, have a lot more skill than I think we give ourselves credit for. You have more control over your career. You don't have to live in the fear. You don't have to worry. I think we need to stop thinking that we're victims of all of this and be more intentional about our careers and what we are going after and what we're going to learn and grow and where we're going to go. And I think the more intentional you are about that at any level, the fear kind of dissipates. It goes away a little bit more when you have a plan and you're really working on something. I think for me, the message would be first trust in yourself that you, you, you know, a little more than you think you do and you don't need to be worried. You know, it's all up to you of where you can go. And if you have that glass half full kind of a mentality and start charting your course and really figuring it out, then the world is your oyster. Like, just go for it. There's opportunity at every level to do something creative and exciting, and you you have the power within yourself. So well, I think we have time for one more question, and we're back to you, Stefan. So let's let's hear the closer. It's been a tough last year, you know, recessions and inflation and all that stuff. And companies, I'm sure it's not just mine, are asking us to do more with less and more with less and more with less constantly. Um, and I'm just wondering what you guys see in your teams with yourselves. You know, how do you prevent burnout? It weighs on me a lot at night how to keep my team from collapsing in on themselves? Oh, that's a tough question. I think the first step that I usually take is how can I not get them to burn out? Fixing the processes, streamlining something, getting, you know, taking some of the swirl out of the out of work mm-hmm. so that they're not getting hit by that. And, you know, getting it into bite-sized chunks, mm-hmm. at least the work or the meetings or the process. And I mean, there's been so many discussions about how many meetings and when and where and who needs to be there and, get, and just trying to, to fix some of that. And I think it's helped, uh, but you also got to be careful. You don't like streamline it so much that people are just all off on their own and they're not, they're not feeling the connections mm-hmm. <laughs> anymore. So I think that's where I'd start probably. And then I think the second half is introducing more humanity, like Jess is saying moments and meetings and, and connections so that you don't feel isolated and you don't feel like you don't have a voice or you don't have an opportunity to share or any of those things. And I think the more we can get those feelings and the, 
that opportunity to connect, I think it helps a lot more. But how do you avoid burnout? Right? What a question! Yeah. <laughs> I don't have the answer to the question. You know, I, I have some things that I think are important, but it, it that is the daily struggle of leadership is really how to help folks recognizing that they're human. Like mm -hmm. sometimes you got to give a moment of a safe space for somebody to be human. And, you know, sometimes we will have a meeting, not very often, a couple times a year. And the sole purpose is for everyone to say, okay, this is the biggest thing that is driving me nuts right now. Sometimes that allows us to come back and be passionate, be enthusiastic, etc. But I'll tell you as creative leaders, the things that Adam said first, is the ongoing battle that is so important to us, those processes and the systems and mm -hmm. trying to get that work to a manageable thing. Well, I struggle with that every day, but that is the goal. That's the inspiration is to, to get us to a reasonable amount of work where people are pushing themselves and they're pushing themselves hard, but not to such a, a place where they can't create great things. Yeah, I agree echo everybody's sentiment that this is kind of just the ongoing struggle. I can't say that I've, you know, solved it or, or come up with, you know, perfect strategies, but the, the things that I try to do in my day to day are sort of creating those boundaries for myself and like modeling them for others. So making sure that I block out time for lunch every day on my calendar. And, you know, that time is, is flexible. If somebody needs to meet with me, you know, I can make it work, but um, just, yeah, making sure that I, I'm not working through lunch and, and that others see that my Slack status like switches to having lunch and that I'm not responding to Slacks during that break. Things like, you know, taking my PTO and our team encourages everybody to, to take the PTO that, they, that they've accrued. And if you do that for yourself and others see that you're doing it, I think it encourages them to be able to properly unplug and take the time that they need because that rest is so important. But yes, I think process is a big part of that. And then also something that I've learned is like, sometimes you have to let that process fail in order to prove that it needs to change or something needs to be done or to make a case for extra headcount being, you know, assigned to, to a project. Sometimes we just do have to do more with less, but sometimes you just can't. And um, it has to sort of break down a little bit, as uncomfortable as that can be, in order to be like, hey, this isn't working and, and we just, we, we can't sustain this without some sort of change. Yeah, I mean, I agree, like the processes are important. I think a lot of times it's what, what we try and do is really define that swim, like this is the type of work we're doing and that is the type we're not going to do. Because I think a lot of times like, oh, you guys are so creative. Could you do this thing for me that's not part yeah. of your normal daily thing and, and whatever. So I really try to keep those and, and to your point, Adam, finding the efficiencies in the process and stuff like that. But I think we all kind of talked about it. Like it's keeping people as humans in the process. Right. And, and knowing that like, well, you're not a robot, you can't work 40 hours, 50 hours, now 60, now 70, now 80 hours a week, because that's, that's a different career. That's a different career path. Right. That's, I can't do that. Talking about a hybrid workplaces again, like, I used to be really good at this is work, this is home, and they don't cross. But now there's a blurry, blurry gray line on those two. And so to your point, Caitlin, like you got to really make sure that you're keeping that line as hard, you know, as you can. Well, that's the whole beauty of all of this, right? We yeah. None of us have answers for everything perfectly, but we can at least just share our lived experience.
And one last note I'd put just on that last little bit you said is that work-life balance and where that line is, you know, that's really tough. Sometimes that's really tough for me because I'm a, a little bit of an open book. So I see it go back and forth. But I think as leaders, if we are seeing our, our people as individuals, is really respect those folks that like to keep it totally separate and make that mm -hmm. a safe thing and respect those folks that like to share the other aspects of their lives mm -hmm. and like to share and talk about it. And just make it make it okay for people to be coming and presenting themselves in their work world in a way that they perform best at. And I think that as creatives, if we really want them doing great work, then, you know, meeting them where, where they are is sometimes part of the job. Thank you for all those comments. That was fantastic. And bringing the humanity to it of just getting to know you three a little bit better today. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate your time hanging out with us here, here on the show, just sharing your thoughts, your experience, your lived experience. It's been awesome. For those back home listening, you can find out more of the show on past episodes and everything you want at realcreativeleadership.com. And for more content or conversations, you can follow us on all the major media channels on YouTube. You can subscribe to Real Creative Leadership channel and you'll get a bell when all the next episodes pop up. Podcast listeners, subscribe to whatever your favorite podcast platform is or connect with us on LinkedIn and you can share thoughts with us and other creative leaders out there. As always, you can find me at adamwmorgan.com. And finally, this show is produced by The Stoke Group, a full service digital agency that specializes in content marketing, video, and interactive experiences. So if you're looking for a partner for strategy or content or anything else, visit thestokegroup.com. Thanks again for listening and we will see you on the next episode.